we have yet to see the long-term effects of the prolonged experience of social isolation that we have experienced over the last 18 months. I think uh, we feel the consequence of it, um, and I think all of us long for life to get back to normal, right? Where we're just having the freedom to go where we want to go and do what we want to do. And um, what we find is that we keep kind of needing to stretch it out another month and another month. And um, that gets quite frustrating. Um, seems as though what we have turned to in the meantime is connection through social media. I want to talk a little bit today about staying socially connected because for many people, the COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted social life, preventing or restricting in-person time with our friends and time with our family. And as more people get vaccinated, obviously, the hopefully, the risk of serious illness goes down. Now, when variants begin to be factored into the equation, we wonder, again, how long is it going to take for it to be safe? Well, some people, once they are comfortable, will gladly and easily even resume their former social lives and hopefully they have even a greater appreciation of their friendship circles. Uh, for other people, the habits of social isolation are hard to change. And sometimes there is the fear maybe of moving ahead. Friendships and supportive relationships are essential to our well-being. And I don't know if we have yet seen what the long-term effects of the last 18 months are going to be upon us psychologically and emotionally, and even spiritually for that matter. But what we've been trying to do is stay connected. And yet there are certain limitations of connection when you're only doing it on social media. So we want to understand the importance of seeing each other face-to-face -face and talking to each other over the table. And we want to continue to pursue a life well-lived, a life that is filled with hope, joy, and peace. And so we started a series a couple of weeks ago called Buried Treasure. And this buried treasure that we are in search of is built upon a lesson taught to us by Jesus in one of his parables in Matthew chapter 13. So let's review for a moment. We talked a little bit about seeking first the kingdom of God, seeking the buried treasure that's available for all of us if we search it out. And then last week, we talked a little bit about savoring the opportunities that we have to connect to be able to experience love, joy, and peace. And today what I want to do is talk a little bit about staying socially connected. And all of these things are built upon teasing out this parable that Jesus gave to us. And we are using a little bit of imagination here because that's what you need to do with parables sometimes. 
you need to kind of imagine what the connections are. Here's the parable again. It's found in Matthew 13, verses 43 and 44. And Jesus is saying, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Here's the parable. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. So what is this buried treasure that a man would take such a risk to sell all of his possessions so that he could buy this field so that he could obtain this treasure? Well, Jesus never really tells us. He never really tells us other than this is somehow connected to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God which is more than some external political arrangement. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is something on the inside as well. It's something that we connect with inside. So when we are able to connect inside, it's supposed to bring us joy. And it seems as though this is kind of an open-ended quest that we are on to continually to find happiness on the inside. Many times people equate happiness with good external circumstances. And I don't know about you, even when life is going well, there just are times, even in the course of a good week, where circumstances aren't exactly what we want them to be. And so if we're seeking happiness and joy and peace by arranging our external circumstances so it's perfect, well, believe me, we are never, ever going to reach it. But if we understand that the kingdom of God does not meet and drink in external circumstances, but it is righteousness and peace and joy, through the Holy Spirit that is given to us, ah, then we can look for that treasure that is hidden in the field. Now, here's a question that comes to my mind. I wonder if this individual that is on an all-out search for the treasure in the field, I wonder if he had some help. How big is this field? How long would it take him to search this field? Does he need some help and hints along the way to understand where to look for this buried treasure? All of that is related to community. Maybe there's someone that told him about the treasure. Maybe there was someone that says, hey, when you go to look for this treasure, I'll help you. Now, last week we talked a little bit about an episode in the life of Jesus where he heals 10 individuals that had leprosy. And these individuals had their own kind of social connection. It was limited, though, because in the ancient world, in Judaism, lepers were outcasts. They weren't permitted in the community. So they had to form kind of their own community, and it was there that they found acceptance among one another. However, Jesus comes along by way of uh, reminder, and he heals these ten lepers, and he says to the lepers, go show yourself to the priest. Why did he say that? Well, once these lepers went, showed themselves to the priest, they could be cleared of their leprosy, and they could rejoin their community. But there was one of the lepers 
that was a Samaritan. He's, he wasn't a Jew. And so these nine go show themselves to the priest. They are healed of their leprosy. The priests will clear them so that they can rejoin their family. But this Samaritan, who is a double outcast, he is physically an outcast because he's a leper, but he's socially an outcast as well, turns around and goes back to Jesus, and he says thank you to Jesus. And it is there we see that he has the opportunity to connect again, but who is he going to connect will. Maybe he's lived a long time with these other nine Jewish lepers. Is he going to be accepted socially if he goes to their community? Or will he have to seek out a new community? And if he does, who is it that will accept him into their community and love them and love him? Well, throughout history, people have lived together in groups, we all know that, where they have found protection and help and support a common identity, and a shared knowledge. But sometimes circumstances can change that connection. So here we are 18 months later in a pandemic, and we've only been connected through social media. And sometimes people move on to other relationships. Sometimes you lose connection with people that you used to work with or you saw all the time in person. And so to one extent or another, it's a real challenge to re-enter into a community, isn't it? Sometimes we feel, oh, that group has changed, or I have changed, do I fit anymore? Basically, I'm telling you the story of high school, right? <laughs> well, that has all kinds of groups. Am I in or am I out? Am I accepted or am I rejected? But we are built for community. We're wired that way. And one of the things in the prayer that Jesus prayed that I just read, is that he was in constant communion with God. And then he prays that we would be in constant communion with God and with one another. Richard Rohr, an author, wrote this, I quote, if the Trinity reveals that God is relationship itself, then the goal of the spiritual journey is to discover and move toward connectedness on ever new levels. The contemplative mind enjoys union on all levels. We may begin by making a little connection with other people and with nature and animals, then grow in deeper connectedness with people. Finally, we can experience full connectedness as union with God. Remember, how you do anything is how you do everything. Without connectedness and communion, we don't exist fully as our truest selves. Becoming who we really are is a matter of learning how to become more and more deeply connected. No one can possibly go to heaven alone, or it would not be heaven. So Richard Rohr makes a good point. God exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He creates us in his image. We are created for community. We are created for connection. And maybe one element, maybe one part of this buried treasure that we are seeking is the boundless joy that comes from social connections. Online and in-person connections are not the same thing. It's easy to be online and create a persona that is not the true self. 
There are even shows that are built on this. People who have put forth a false persona. How many have ever watched Catfish? You know, it's one of those things where, is that the true person that's emailing, that's texting? You know, even face-to-face, -face, it's often difficult to know each other at in depth. So sometimes what will happen is we'll withdraw into safe circles. Why is that? Maybe we feel most comfortable or socially connected with people that are just like us. In other words, unity in community is often based on similar social patterns, economic status, or common interests, or maybe even common enemies. And so community is often built around some of these things rather than built upon accepting each other for who we really are, loving each other for who we really are, and being understanding that God has not made any of us exactly the same. All of us are different. We all have different gifts. We all have different experiences and circumstances. And so there's a problem that has arisen, I think, anyways, in the last 20 to 25 years where we live in a unique time where it's easy to think that we are socially connected because we have more knowledge about people. And we ask for friendship on Facebook, don't we? And they accept our friendship request. And all of a sudden, I have 500 friends? I have 1,200 friends? Well, that's what it says. These are my friends online. But in reality, I can't handle that many close relationships. Can you? None of us can. Although I've done a number of weddings where I think they had their whole friendship circle in the wedding party. <laughs> but, but, in other words, those are acquaintances that we have. And within those acquaintances, we have the opportunity to kind of peek into their lives a little bit as they post pictures of what's going on in their life, maybe some significant milestones, a wedding, a birthday, whatever it may be. But it is also true that in the social media world, I'm kind of vulnerable. I'm vulnerable to what is being presented to me as true, but it's not necessarily true. Sometimes misinformation or even misdirection can come through social media. And we think we know something, but we really don't. You know, sometimes there's just no social connection whatsoever. Facebook and other social media creates the illusion of social connection sometimes. You know, there's a book, it's 20 years old now, in fact, called Bowling Alone by Robert uh, Putnam. It was written back in 2001. And he observed even 20 years ago that common activities that we used to enjoy with friends has gone down tremendously. In other words, where have the bowling leagues gone, right? Where have some of these other social activities gone? John Ortberg, in his book called Soul Keeping, examines what it means to have a healthy soul. And he talks about people being uh, transient. In fact, it's an amazing thing. Us pastors take note of this, probably 
individuals in church don't notice it as much. But it is true that every five years, a church loses half of its membership, half of its membership. And if it's not then replenished, obviously it goes down in number. But you think about people that have passed away or moved away or they have walked away from a church, every five years there's about a 50% turnover. So that's part of what it means to live in this transient world. People are on the move more often now than in previous generations. So according to renowned psychologist Bart Siegelman, he says, this has resulted in the meaning of life being narrowed down to the self. In other words, if the people around me are always changing, it's hard to find purpose in relationships. I have to find it within myself. And Ortberg also believes that we as individuals are way too small a unit to bear the weight of life alone. So the demise of social connectedness is seen in the demise of social groups that once thrived. Think about it, church, fraternal organizations, special interest groups like bowling leagues or bingo nights. Most of the groups, the BFW, the Masons, the Rotary Clubs, are struggling today to stay in existence. And part of that is the era in which we live. Uh, people have their own connections. They do their own things. They go their own way. But what we find is that we still need deep social connection. And whether it's in church or someplace else, what we really need to understand is that there is unity in community when we understand that we are part of God's family, we're a part of his created purpose, and we treat each other as such. Have you ever noticed in social media how nasty people are. They probably wouldn't say some of the things they say to you, your face. They would probably back off of that. But on social media, all guardrails are down, right? Well, you know what that means? It means sometimes social media is not a safe place because we can be attacked for something that we believe. And yet, we cannot live without community. We're created for it. But however, the kind of community that we seek can either be life-giving or it can be destructive, and we have to be careful of that. There was an episode in the life of Jesus, and it's fairly lengthy, but um, I think it's important to understand. In the chapter prior to this parable, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is going about doing and he's healing individuals. And there was this one occasion where there was this demon-possessed man that was brought to Jesus. He was also blind and he was mute. And Jesus, in his power, heals that man. And the individual is restored to health. He can talk and see. And all the people are astonished. And they begin to ask the question, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Savior? Well, the Pharisees are threatened by that. And so they come up with this statement that this miracle that Jesus has been 
has just performed is being done by the power of Satan. So Jesus turns and he tells the Pharisees, he says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? In other words, he says, where there is a division of community, destruction is not far behind. That should threaten us to a certain extent because if we are divided as a nation, we're fooling ourselves to think it won't have destruction. So it's important to understand as Jesus tells these individuals that there is, there's no way that a house divided is able to stand. Now that is his answer to their accusation. But, and this is a long passage, and we're not going to get into it today. But my main point is, when we get into a divisive community, watch how it affects emotionally, socially, psycholo uh, psychologically. It has an effect. Because, but there is a better way. And in the high priestly prayer of Jesus that we just looked at, his prayer, three or four times in that prayer, is for our oneness. Now by oneness, he's not talking about uniformity. He's talking about unity. You're different than I am. I'm different than you are. We're different ages. We grew up in different places. We have different circumstances, and we had different None of us are the same. But you know what we have in common? A love of God. The love of God that resides within us. And when we build our unity around God's love for us, then what we can do is be devoted to one another. So one last passage before I close. So this is the early part of the church. It's just getting started. And in Acts chapter 2, we read these words uh, of what the church was like. It was not a perfect community. Many times in Christian circles, they think if we could just get back to the first century, you know, all our problems would be solved. You know, all you got to do is read to Acts chapter 6 and see that they were divided. They had their own problems. But this is a perfect portrait of what they were devoted to. Listen. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common, and selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those couple of things important in that paragraph. First of all, they were a community that was built on nurturing relationships. They were willing to help each other out. And secondly, this community committed themselves to doing what was necessary to meet each other's needs. Now in this case, there were some financial needs that there were individuals that had uh, some problems and they needed help 
and and they were willing to do that. But I think on the whole, they were devoted to the idea of mutually uh, nurturing relationships. And that's what we should strive for, not only as our local church, but we should pray for when we think about the uh, church at large and what Christ is desiring us. I think we are at a point in the history of our country where it's hard to stay socially connected in diversity without becoming destructive in the process. Maybe our best chance to survive and thrive as a nation is not to reject our diversity, but to embrace it. Maybe our best chance to survive as a human race is to realize that life is a gift, love is the point, and we must each day choose to be a beneficial presence in our world. Maybe our best chance to survive to be a small example of people who embrace our differences because we are all a part of this invisible kingdom where joy and laughter and love are normative. Maybe one way we can do this is by uniting around the person of Jesus. So in these challenging and tough times that we live in, we are discovering as a wisdom that we needed all along, that we are connected. And the healthier our social connections, the better our world can become. So what are some of the ways that we can connect? Well, on the night Jesus was betrayed by one man, Judas, who didn't like the way things were set up, and he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, Jesus takes a common thing, bread and a cup, and he holds it up and says, this is my body given for you. This is the cup of the new covenant, a new way of living, a new way of socializing, a new way of connecting. Drink it in remembrance. So up front here, I have a cup and some wafers. They are gluten-free. Um, if you would like to take communion, I ask that you come up, take a piece of bread, take the cup back, we hold it. We will eat together as a community. So. Do not feel pressure if this is new to you, if communion is not something that you've done before and you don't feel comfortable. That's fine too. There's no judgment, no judgment. If you'd like to come on up, take the element, go back to 